finish our, our series of finding our way home, which has largely been a journey into uh, in the book of Exodus. But today we come to that uh, graveyard of Bible reading plans called Leviticus. The uh, Oh, um, and so, kids, kindergarten through third grade... You will be glad to know that, uh, and it was, it was a few parents and grandparents that were trying to get my attention. Hey, kindergarten, you're glad you can go to children and worship right through that door there, and there will be, um, a, a wonderful person to lead you in that time. Um, so, but, you know, um, it's, so, you know, the number of you have been to college, some of you are college students. Um, and you know what I, when I say weed out courses, right? You know what I mean when I say those, you know, and in my, in my world on my campus, it was organic chemistry. You know, that was the one that would weed out all of us pre-med majors. Um, uh, and, um, well, in a way, you know, Leviticus is the weed out book, of Bible reading plans, you know, because January was, you know, just January. And I'm going to read the Bible in a year this year, you know, we all start with that. And we hit Genesis and it's all the great stories, creation and the, the rebellion and then the call of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all. And then they, then you get into to Exodus and then people in slavery and Moses come, you know, it's just this powerful story after another. And then in, in Exodus, it sort of slogs down a little bit with the building of the tabernacle, which we talked about last week. Uh, but then it picks back up again and you're, you end the book on a high note of now that God is dwelling on the people and leading them forward from the, the tabernacle that we talked about last week, the tent of, of meeting, this, the temporary housing for God among the people is there. And then you hit somewhere end of January, mid-February, you hit Leviticus. And it's just one law after another that seems to make no sense. What exactly, sort of arbitrary, this sacrificial system comes and all these animals are, are killed and all around the, the tabernacle and God and pretty much there many will just, let me move on to Matthew, you know, or <laughs> let me move on to that novel that I wanted to read. So that's what Leviticus is. And it's, there's a reason that the Gospel Project only gives it one Sunday um, uh, during the th- whole of the, the, the three years. But I want you to know, to its original audience, to ancient Israel, it made a lot of, of sense and was actually very meaningful and even a celebration. Because what we'll see as we walk through this, it is, it is uh, the, the description of, of God not dwelling among his people, but inviting his people to dwell with him and making it possible for an impure people to dwell with a pure God, to live with the, the very purity of God. Um, and, and a couple things in, in, in Leviticus and just in the law and the whole sacrificial system and that all, all together, one thing is it presented a very different way of, le- of living. A, a better way of living. One, as we've talked about some, you know, that respects all of human life. I mean, it, this, this was eons ahead of its age in terms of its understanding of women and employees and servants. 
in terms of respecting all of life. And there, if you read on in Leviticus, read on past this a little bit, there's this crazy economic system called the year of Jubilee that was this safeguard against generational poverty and monopolization of wealth that brought everything back to its original plan every 50 years. I mean, it, it is um, way ahead of its time and good news in every way. You find in Leviticus 19, even what Jesus quoted when he said, that the, when he su- summarized the commands, it's Leviticus 19 where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So this, this is a, a good way of living towards God and others that represented God's character. And secondly, it was a way of being that was different from all the others, all the other ways of life that was were around them. Because um, all these other folks were following all these other gods. It was like, you need to be different. You're set apart. You're representing the character of Yahweh, our one God. And you need to be different so that other folks will know that you are Yahweh's and no other gods. You know, one of the, the, the these are one of those uh, little laws. It, it's not it's not in Leviticus, but it's in Exodus a couple times in Deuteronomy. Um, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. Now you can try all you want to find real meaning in that, and there's there you can go read different commentaries. There's a whole bunch of different commentaries, but the the thing that is real about this recent times in the last hundred years that's recent in biblical times. Um, in some of the archaeological findings, it was found that many of the other religious practices boiled the baby goat in its mother's milk. So this was a way of God saying, we're not going to do that. We're going to be different from those people. And that gives a whole new meaning to that law. And then others that are to set them apart as the people of God and not the, the, of Yahweh and not the other gods of the land. All right. So, but when we come to Leviticus and in our purpose of finding our home in God, as, as I said, last Sunday was the building of the tabernacle. So all the detail of the temporary dwelling of God among the people as they're going to be wandering in the wilderness. And, and it went into great detail. And, and that's great. Now God, a pure God, can dwell among an impure people with with this, the protection and provision of the tabernacle. And there is, as I mentioned last week, this huge distance, this eternal distance of purity between a pure God and an impure people like Israel or me or you. And 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 so for for impurity to enter into purity, that, that if it stays impure, it makes everything impure. And so we saw last week, and we'll see in this passage as well, there were times that people entered into the presence of God inappropriately, and they were consumed by the holy fire of God instantly. Because this distance is so great. This, this, this chasm of purity between a righteous, pure, pure love God, and then a selfish, impure people. Um, so, but... So, so now God is dwelling in the tabernacle. He's there. But so it's like we're at the tabernacle. But how do we go in? Um, I had a friend in, in Charlotte. This was uh, several years ago now that they they were at their house, but they couldn't go in because a buck was in their den. 
A buck is a male deer. And this one was mature. He had lots of antlers. And I don't know how many points he was, but a lot. And he had actually broken through their plate glass window in the front of their house, skid across their dining room table, and then landed in their den and was there huffing and puffing, wondering how he was going to get out. So they were there. They were at the house, but they weren't about to go in because it was dangerous. It was scary. And so here, Israel, we're at the tabernacle. God is in their midst, but who wants to go in? How does impurity enter into the presence of God? And that's what Leviticus answers. So Leviticus is God's gift of here is the way that we, that you, Israel, impure, we as God's people are impure, can now enter into the house. And as we'll see, not just enter it on tiptoes, but enter it like we own the place. Enter it boldly. Without fear. So um, Leviticus 16 is what we'll look at. Um, page 91 in your, your pew Bible. Um, and uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your written word. It speaks to us of your many gifts to us. So help us to hear, help us to receive. Not only in our head, but in our very heart and soul from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, we'll read a few sections of Leviticus um, uh, 16, um, uh, verses 1 through 6, then 15 and 16, 20 through 22, and then 29 through 31. You can uh, um, uh, follow along on the screen or follow along in your own Bible. All right, Luke 16, starting with verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come just at any time into the sanctuary inside the curtain before the mercy seat that is upon the ark, or he will die. For I appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and shall have the linen undergarments next to his body. Fasten the linen sash and wear the linen turban. These are the holy vestments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then verse 15. He shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the curtain and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the sanctuary because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. So he shall do for the tent of meeting which remains with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. And then verse 20. When he has a finished, when he has finished atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. 
Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and sending it away into the wilderness by means of someone designated for the task. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a barren region and the goat shall set free, shall be set free in the wilderness. Then verse 29. This shall be a statute to you forever. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall deny yourselves and shall do no work, neither the citizen nor the alien who resides among you. For on this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you from all your sins. You shall be clean before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of complete rest to you. And you shall deny yourselves. It is a statute forever. So, the Aaron, the priest, he's told, now this is how you need to come in, right? He's got a bunch of animals with him. You know, young bull, ram, they're for him. They're his offering for himself. He has to be made holy, made pure in order to enter into God's presence. And then he has two goats in a ram that are for the people of Israel. So then he comes in and makes the atonement for the people of um, Israel. Now, let's, we'll walk through particularly the, um, the atonement that, that he makes through um, the two goats for Israel. But atonement is the word that means he, he, he bridges the gap. He, he bridges the chasm of purity between God and Israel. And we see in the beginning of the story, or the, the events listed here, you know, that Aaron is back in chapter 10. Aaron's sons had already come in with a strange fire and they were consumed by God's holiness because they were impure in the place of purity. And so they die. And Aaron is warned here, don't go in willy nilly. You know, go in appropriately or you too. That's a theological term, willy nilly. Somewhere in the Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic. Um, but uh, you must enter this way. Make atonement for yourself, then for um, Israel. And, and I think in, in 15 and 16, then the, the picture then of what, what Aaron does on behalf of the people really pictures what, what the fullness of atonement means. Because I, I think there's really two elements of atonement. It, it removes, atonement removes the impact of our sin against a holy God, and it removes the impurity of sin in our own character and among our own uh, person. It totally and completely covers our sin. The the first part um, is addressing the wrong that was done to God. And the second part addresses the impurity in our own soul. Right? So the first part then is, is really, you could, is really captured in this word atonement uh, at, at the highest uh, element in that sometimes it's translated ransom. You know, to, to ransom someone uh, from their predicament. Um, to, to, to pay their way out of their predicament. Um, uh, you could also say it's even like restitution or even reconciliation. Um, it, to, 
and even cover. You can use the word cover in, in this way. Um, if I go out to uh, lunch with you and we order, we eat, and then it's time to pay. And I'm like, oh, oops, I don't have anything to pay. And then you and your kindness turn to me and say, I'll cover you. Well, what do you mean when you say I'll cover you? You know, you're not going to be a coat on me. You say, I'll cover what you owe. I'll pay what you owe. I mean, you, what you have done, you now have a debt to pay. You owe, so I'll cover for, for you. I'll take care of the, the, the impact of the wrong that you've done. And that is what the, the sin offering does in that it addresses the wrong that is done to a pure God. It satisfies the righteous judgment of a pure God and releases the sinner from the death that is owed for their sin. If you remember in Genesis, the, the, you know, everybody read Genesis 1 and 2. Everybody at least made it that far in the Bible reading plan. You know, it's in Genesis chapter 2. That God tells Adam, hey, you know, eat from all this, but don't eat from this one tree right here. Because if you eat from this one tree, you shall surely die. Paul, the Apostle Paul says in Romans, you know, the rages of sin is death. What you owe for sin is death. And so what happens in this element of atonement with the first goat is that Aaron takes the goat, slaughters the goat, so that now it's the goat's death at sin instead of Israel's. The goat takes Israel's place. It covers what Israel owes to God for sinning against a pure and holy God. The righteous judgment of God is satisfied. We are covered for. Then the second part then comes in the, the verses uh, um, 15 and 16. Uh, no, sorry, 20 through 22, um, where the second goat is the live goat. And we're told that Aaron takes the live goat and puts the blood from the first goat over the second goat and then prays, um, uh, confessing all his, all the sins of Israel over the goat and then sends the goat into the wilderness, taking the sins with them, taking the impurity with them into the wilderness and then lost and gone forever. And the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, this is where we get the term scapegoat. That the goat now is the one that takes the sin away. Our sin, in a sense, is covered like a, a block, like a blackout curtain. It's, it's no longer seen. It's no longer able to see. So it is, it is atoned for in that way. The, our impurity now is separated from us on the head of the goat that now is in the wilderness. So our sin, atonement then, is the, the, the reconciliation and purification. Satisfies the righteous judgment of God, releasing us from punishment because of our disobedience. Paid for by the death of the goat. And then cleanses the unrighteous sinner and removes our impurity as far as the east is from the west. It is total and complete. 
And you may, you may wonder, you know, why the sacrifice of animals to make the atonement? Well, it's, it's because that, that is the one that God has deemed right and appropriate to pay the price on an annual basis. And of course, there's a whole other system of sacrifices and all the rest. But there must be the payment of death for Sin, And that's why when we talk about and sing about the blood of Jesus, it's not so much that the blood of Jesus has magical powers. There's, there's sometimes there's, there's stories in historiography of, well, the blood of Jesus dropped there and a huge forest grew. That's that may be true, maybe not, it's not biblical. Um, but the blood is the symbol of Jesus' life and his death. The, the blood of the, the lamb is symbolizing the life that was given to atone for the sins of Israel and for ours. We see it, we see it also in another story that we've talked about over as we've gone through Exodus, the story of Passover, where remember every family of Israel was to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the symboling the, the lamb's life and his death and put it on their doorpost so that when the angel of death came through, he said, ah, oh, death has visited there. I'll move on to the other places where death has not come. The lamb was sacrificed for the life, the s- salvation of the people of Israel then as well. And so the blood of the animals taken to the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, the very center of the tabernacle. And, and there, the very center of God's presence, and there God's righteousness is satisfied by the sacrifice of the life of the animal. Now, so th- this, this then happens every year that totally satisfies and and frees the people of Israel. They now are free to be with God, to dwell with God as well as God dwelling with them. Um, uh, verse 29 and 30. I mean, we'll read those again just to, again, to capture the, the, what, what God has done in this um, uh, atonement. This shall be a statute to you forever. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall deny yourselves and shall do no work, neither the citizen nor the alien who resides among you. For on this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you from all of your sins. You shall be clean before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of complete rest to you and you shall deny yourselves. It is a statute forever. So what exactly do the people do? Nothing. I mean, you don't even eat. You totally rest. It says it twice. It says it before and after. Deny yourselves. Do no work. Fast. That's what deny yourself is. Fast. Don't work. Actually, you know, deny yourself even of, of the common pleasures of the day. For this one day you shall do nothing. As a matter of fact, not just the people of Israel, but even the people that just happen to find themselves walking through that day. You know, nobody does anything because on this day, everything is done for you. You shall be made, to, the atonement shall be made for you, not by you. 
You're not going to cleanse yourself. You shall be cleansed. All of your sins shall be cleansed before the Lord. This is the gift. This is the celebration of God's provision for all to be able to come into his presence. Whom have been had their sins atoned by the sacrifices. It is totally God's work. And now... We, and and you may say, well, man, that's a lot of detail. We don't do this anymore. No, there's there's not a tabernacle, there's not a temple, none none of this happens anymore. What, What happened? Jesus happened. See, Jesus has, he hasn't corrected this system. He perfected it. He completed it. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. The one who did not have to have his own sins atoned, for he was perfect. And he entered into the Holy of Holies, but not a Holy of Holies like that we made. Not like a sanctuary, not a temple, not a tabernacle. He entered into heaven itself as the sacrifice to atone for the sins of all who are in him. The writer of Hebrews says this plainly. In chapter 9. And the whole book of Hebrews is really saying Jesus is better. And that's sort of the theme of, of Hebrews. And here he's saying Jesus is the one who is better even than the sacrificial system. He has completed it. Chapter 9 verse um, 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands. A mere copy of the true one. But he entered into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with the blood that is not his own. For then he would have had to have suffered again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once, and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus completes... So you, know, you may have wondered, why is he going into such detail on these goats? Well, now you get a little bit more of the weight of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And why, as we enter now into the season of Lent, preparing for Easter, what all happens at the cross? That Jesus is our scapegoat. Jesus is the one, the sins of the world are upon him, upon which he died once and for all, completely. And you may be saying, "Uh, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You're probably right. I don't. But Jesus does. And you don't know what I'm going to do. You're you're definitely right about that. Um, But Jesus does. Matter of fact, all the sins that we've committed were future in chronological time that Jesus died for on the cross once and for all. So, brothers and sisters, if this is true, and I believe it is, then we are free. We are free. We no longer 
have to try to earn God's pleasure or strive for the ways of heaven. It has been given to us by the very work of the sacrificial lamb, God the Son, Jesus the Christ. And our sins are forgiven. Our selfishness, our cowardice, our arrogance, greed, impurity, immorality, lust, you name it. Our disobedience. We no longer have to hide it. We no longer have to sort of sweep it under the rug. Somehow get defensive about it. Some, we, we now, we can be plain, open and honest with God, with ourselves, even with those that are around us. And we can come in total humility, in celebration every time that we come before the Lord. Because it's not about what I've done or you've done, but what He has done for us. He has made the way for you and me and anyone who is in Him to live with Him today and forever. And and like the, the writer of Hebrews ends it. And so now we can live with an eager obedience. With an eager sense of anticipation of that day when all will be made right and whole and we will be completely made perfect before Him in our glorified state. But until then, what, what we were just singing, we believe who we are is because of who He is and what He has done for us. In a minute, we're going to come to uh, the communion table and have prayer stations uh, around. And uh, particularly today, if you're one that, that's striving with sin, you're trying to make it right. You know, you're, you're trying to do the right thing. You're striving for God. I just want to tell you, release that. In this moment, stop trying. I mean, there's effort in the Christian life to to follow after Jesus. Don't don't get me wrong on that. But uh, today, this is about coming and receiving what God has done in us in Jesus Christ and that you can't add one iota to. You can't add one grain of sand to. This is what God has done for you and for me, forgiving us, atoning for our sins, covering us, Covering for us and covering over us. So that we can be with God. Not only in fear. Not only in uncertainty. But we can be with God as the writer of Hebrews says. Boldly approach the throne. So in this moment. Let's receive what God and only God can do for us. Once and for all. Almighty God give you uh, thanks again 